I was in the series on the kingdom, and this, I guess, could apply to the kingdom, but I, I was on the phone with a mentor about some different things this week, and he encouraged me to read 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and I did, and when I read it, it just ignited in my spirit, and so I've decided that I'm going to preach on that today and next week, and um, sometimes messages take a while to get together. And very seldom do they come together as quickly as this did. I don't know, in about three to four hours I was done with it, which is, is pretty, really fast actually. It was like a download from heaven. So I'm very uh, excited about bringing this word to you. And I've entitled it, The Heat Is On. Everybody say, The Heat Is On. The Heat Is On. That's right. So if you will turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to put just one verse on the overhead 2 Chronicles 20 and 12. And also don't forget that um, uh, you've got you version notes. So if you will stand for the reading of God's word, I'm going to go through 15 verses one by one and I'll put them on the overhead as I go. But for now, I just want to point out a verse 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 12. And uh, if you are there, or 2 Chronicles 20 and 12, if you're there, shout out a good amen. amen. Everybody should at least be there because it's on the screen behind me, right? Oh, our God. You know, there's sometimes that you got to go to the prayer closet and just say, Oh, God. Will you not judge them? He's talking about the enemy coming against them. For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. I don't know about you. Can I see a show of hands? How many of you has 2020? Does it just seem like one punch after the other, after the other, after the other? Raise your hand if it is felt that way to you. And it seemed like you can't get over one thing and three more things happen. And you can't get a breath. You can't get a break. And this is what they're dealing with. He says, uh, we have no power against this great multitude is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. If we knew we had to answer, we'd fix it, right? But I love this next part of the verse. But our eyes are upon you. Something changes when your eyes get on Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you so very much for your word and your presence and the promise, God, that you are, you are, your favors upon us, our, our family, our children and our children, our great-grandchildren. God, that you're with us. God, you encircle us. You're for us. I thank you for this. And I pray, God, that you would anoint me to speak forth your word now, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. I pray let the word of God flow, God, and let the power of God through your word speak to us and ignite this word in us. In Jesus' name, let not one word of my own come out of my mouth, but every word straight from the throne of God. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have, and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only. Deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears. Anoint my heart, my soul, my spirit, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five somebody if they're not have a red bracelet or air high five them. You know, back in the, uh, I don't remember what year it was, but uh, back when the movies The Beverly Hills Cop came out, there was a song that was popular. It went a little something like this. The heat is on. It's on the street. How many remember that? Inside your head. On every beat. 
And the beat's so loud, deep inside, the pressure's high, just to stay alive, cause the heat is bum, 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 on, Come on now, how many of you have heard that song? Don't act like you don't. Yeah, it's okay, it's all right. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, I hear you. Let's just say I don't see a lot of halos. I see some horns, I don't see many halos. It's getting bad, isn't it? What, what do you do? What do you do when you, it seems like circumstances are against you? What, what do you do when it seems like you just have problems on every side and nothing is going right? What do you do when you feel like you're going under? What do you feel like when it feels and seems like you got married by the secretary of war rather than the justice of the peace? Gentlemen, just look straight at me. It'll be bad. I talked to a guy the other day and his wife pulled in the driveway. He said, oh boy, here comes the Department of War. <laughs> I said, boy, you better not let her hear that. What do you do when you have that stuff? Look, look at verse 1. Let's just go back to the chapter because I'm going to unfold this thing. And it, it, I'm telling you guys, I want to speak to you today. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. The enemy's coming to attack. I want to tell you, the enemy is coming to attack. And most of you have already raised your hand and you recognize and you see that. Verse 2. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude, everybody say a great multitude, is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. They are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is in, in, in Gedi. Great multitude, you might as well just say intimidation. What the enemy is trying to do is let Jehoshaphat become intimidated before the war ever even starts. I want you to know, Jehoshaphat, you always have the secret tellers and the, and the tail bears, and they're saying, Jehoshaphat, I want to make sure you understand something here. There's a great multitude coming against you. Job 23, 8-9 says it this way, Look, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. And when he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. Have you ever been there before? The devil wants to put so much on you and overwhelm you and I so much that we will give up before we ever get started. He wants to intimidate us into defeating ourselves, to quitting and to giving up before God can do something miraculous. How many knows what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there like Job where you look around and it seems like all you got is trouble all around you and you cry out and you say, God, I don't even know where you're at. I can't see you no matter what. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to the place where it seems like you're getting attacked on every side and you're crying out, oh God, and you can't see him? And it seems like when you go after God this way, he's gone another way. And when you go after him this way, he's gone that way. And he seems like you can't find him. And the only thing you can see is problems and trouble. Am I preaching to anybody that's ever been there? Maybe they're right now. Where you can't get a break. Where you can't get any rest. Where you think to yourself, if I could just get a break, if I could just get some rest, if I could just get some peace, I think I'll make it. The enemy's number one tactic is to try and intimidate you and I. 
That's why 2 Timothy 1.7, I believe God put it in the good book. It said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity or intimidation, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So what do you do when a great multitude of problems comes against you? What do you do when you have on your face with something that you know you can't win on your own? What do you do when the heat is on in your life? Point number one is this. Seek the Lord. Everybody say, seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat, verse 3, feared and set himself to seek the Lord. He set himself. He made a conscious decision. I'm going to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. I want to tell you, intimidation worked because Jehoshaphat was fearing. He was terrified of what was going to happen. And your problem may intimidate you through your natural eyes. Because his natural eyes saw an enemy he could not withstand. And it terrified him. And I'm preaching to some people, I really believe this, that you're faced with some terrifying things that have come against you. And the enemy is trying to tell you, you're going down. He's going to try to tell you your child will never be right with God, that you're not going to survive this sickness, that your marriage is not going to get healed, that you're never going to get through this, that all these problems, he's going to try to cast all that on there. But the thing is, when when Jehoshaphat went to uh, God, he set his eyes to seek God. The Lord. In other words, he said, I'm not going to face this problem through natural eyes. I'm going to look through this with spiritual eyes. Somebody say amen. How many of you know that when you go before the presence of God, that he'll change your mindset? It doesn't change what he does. It changes your mindset and perception to know God will come through for you. Somebody shout amen. That's why Hebrews 12 two says, fixing our eyes. On the Lord Jesus Christ. He sought the Lord. Look what Jeremiah says about that. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. What an awesome promise. When we go after God with everything we got, the Bible says we will find him. Glory to God. When we search with everything we've got, our whole heart, mind, and soul. So he seeks the Lord and he proclaims a fast. Throughout the land of Judea. I love it, man. Restaurants are closed. Plates are empty. There's no butchering cows in Judea on this day. One man seeking the Lord, hear this, caused an entire nation to seek the Lord. One man's hunger for God created a hunger for God in an entire nation. I want to tell you one person can make a difference. You are a difference maker. You're a bridge of hope to people. One person can cause a nation to turn back to God. I want to tell you, you can make a difference in the life of someone else. That's part of our vision, to to reach people from all walks of life, but also uh, to be released to make a difference in someone's life. You can make a difference in someone's life at work. You can make a difference in someone's life in your family. You can make a difference in someone's life at the church. You can make a difference. Somebody poke your neighbor and say, you're a difference maker. So what do you do when the heat is on in your life? Point number two, ask God for help. Everybody say, ask God for help. It seems so simple, but how much do we not pray about? Acts 20 and 4, the next verse says, So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek 
the Lord. He came before God. He set his mind to seek the Lord. And then he said, we've got to ask God for help. Now notice there it says they gathered together. Everybody say gathered together. Gathered means assembled together. And immediately my mind went to Hebrews 10.25 that says, Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Is it okay if I be real? Y'all still want me to be real? Listen, COVID has some people legitimately afraid. They're, they're just afraid. They don't leave their house. They're terrified and they don't. They don't, I'm not saying this about those people. Some people have work mandates. If they're caught in a restaurant, they have two weeks quarantine with no pay. I, I get it. There, there are some people that uh, have other legitimate reasons. But I find those people are watching the services online. They're tithing. They're giving. They're committed as much as they possibly can. So what I'm going to say it does not have anything to do with them. But here's what I believe with all my heart and soul. COVID is not causing some people to leave the church. It's revealing what was already there. Their hearts were far from God and they came to church on Sundays out of convenience. And they came to church out of easing my conscience once a month, once every month and a half. I'll just slide in and slide out. I want to tell you for those people that are in that position, quit telling yourself that COVID is the reason why you're not at church. You're not at church because your heart is not right with God. I'm not saying this about everybody. I know it's quiet in this Baptist church all of a sudden. We were all fired up a minute ago. But when pastor got up and got real, all of a sudden we didn't like it too much. I'm not talking about people legitimately afraid. I'm talking about people that can go to restaurants all week long. They can attend parties. They can go out of town. They can do everything under the sun as if life is going on without any issues. But then on Sunday, I can't go to church because COVID will only get you at church, right? I want to tell you something. Tell yourself the truth and just admit it. It's not COVID. My heart don't really want to go. That's what it's about. Amen? Because if you, listen, if you really believe that those same people that want to go to restaurants and parties and celebration and have no problem living the rest of their life without church and they tell you that they're not in church because of COVID, I'm going to sell you some beachfront property in Montana. I got some beachfront property in Kansas, man. I got it, man. You just tell me what you want to pay, and I got it for you. I want to tell you something. Come on, let's get real, folks. What you're seeing in the United States of America, I was on the phone with a mentor earlier this week. He said he's been studying it everywhere. And you know what we're faced with as a nation? I thought it was because we moved out here at 3 o'clock on Sunday. Can I just be honest with you? The numbers are going down. There's all kinds of numbers going down in our church. I thought, I think it's because we're out here at 3 o'clock Sunday. I was telling some of the staff and elders, and I think I freaked some of them out. Because I let him actually know what was going on in my head. And, uh, and so I got on the phone with a mentor. Holly was like, you need to call the mentor. I, mean, I just got to roll out of bed early one morning. Mentor, call him, call him, call him. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll call him. So I called him and I told him what was going on. He said, oh, no. He said, it's got nothing to do with your church being at 3 o'clock in Harrison. He said, every church, just like 9-11, spiked right after the COVID happened. But he said, you're seeing what every other church in America is seeing, June, July, and August. Declining attendance, declining finances, declining people tuning in. He said, because what's happened is they got scared at first. Now they're used to it. And now they have an excuse. So what you're really seeing is what's really been going on in the church. And who you see showing up is who the real people and the real core is. I'm going to preach it. Yes, I am. Is it all right to hear the truth anymore? 
You say, Pastor, you're going to offend somebody. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm just trying to say, you know what Corinthians says? It says, examine your heart to see whether you're really in the faith or not. And I'm alarmed. I'm alarmed at the church and the people that would show up somewhat regularly that all of a sudden you couldn't find them if you offered them $10,000. What is it? I'm telling you, we have a heart problem in America and the church, and it starts in the church, and we need revival. Somebody say it, amen. Is it okay to still preach this way? I believe Jesus would. I believe Jesus has a leg to stand on because in Luke 4, 16, it says, So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth and where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, everybody say his custom, he went into where? As Jesus' custom was, he went to church on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Man, there's something about being together. How many of you, your faith ignited when Maria was shouting and jumping and dancing up here about her healing? Fifteen years down in her back, walking with a cane. And you see her jumping and shouting and worshiping God. Man, I'll tell you what, if that don't move you, I don't know what will. Glory to God, God's still in the healing business. So my question is, is serving God to you something out of a, just a, a, well, it's just a, you know, if it's easy and, it, and, it, and it's, it's convenient, I'll do it. But man, I'm just not going to, I had a family tell me, I don't go to church anymore because the time. It just, I, it's just inconvenient for me. So now going to the house of God is inconvenient because it's at three. My Lord, church, I know it's three. I know we're out here. I get it. But man, is that all God? God is to you. Jesus, I know your death was not convenient. I know you shed your blood and went through something no mortal man could ever possibly go through to wash my sin away. But unless you give me a place close by my house at 1030, I'm checking out. I want to tell you something. Folks, that's time to go back to the prayer closet and find out where is my heart. My heart's not right with God. Somebody say amen. You say, Pastor, I wish you'd have stuck with the last message. Don't worry, I'll give it in two weeks. But I'm going with this one today, amen. He said, God, we're going to ask help of the Lord. Acts 7-7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. From every city in Judah, they began to seek God. That word seek means this. Search out, beseech, inquire, to seek to be secure. Watch verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. In other words, they met in the house of the Lord. They came before him like beggars. And they said, God, we need your help. Now listen, I can feel some of the tension. If, if you know someone that's just deathly afraid of COVID, I wasn't preaching that about them. I'm talking about people that are using COVID as an excuse. Amen. We'll go on now. Their lives were in danger. Their families were in danger. We have to fight for our families with prayer and fasting, folks. If you have family members not right with God, you've got to pray. We've got to pray. We've got to fast. We've got to seek the Lord. I started many years ago, and when we first started in the ministry, 23 years ago, praying for family members by name. And little by little, I started seeing cousins talk about going to church. Cousins talking about the Lord, and I never would have talked about the Lord. I think, wow, my prayers actually are working. 
Why is it that we're so surprised when our prayers actually work? Well, what do you do when the heat is on in your life? Point number three is this. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Everybody say, God is faithful. Verse 6, O Lord, our God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven and do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? What Jehoshaphat is doing, he's acknowledging God, you have all power and all might. The same God that just healed Maria's back is the same God that can heal you, restore you, and set you free. Somebody shout amen. He said, nobody can stand against you, God. You know what he's doing here? He's not reminding, he's not telling God something God doesn't already know. You know what he's doing? He's reminding himself of the faithfulness of God. He's gone to the prayer closet and he's saying, God, I remember. You, you know what? I believe he gets before the Lord and before long he's like, man, look at God. And nobody can stand before my God. There's no sickness can stand before my God. There's no addiction that can stand before my God. There's no problem or circumstance that God can't help me through. There ain't nothing I'll ever face that's greater than the name of Jesus. My Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess at the name of Jesus. He's building his faith up. Sometimes we have to remind God that He's our deliverer when it seems like the enemy is swallowing us up. Sometimes we got to remind God that He's our healer when the doctor says, you have a condition called, fill in the blank. That He's our provider when you can't pay the bills. Remind Him that He's your Savior when your family isn't right with God. Sometimes you got to go to God and remind Him that He is the way when you can't see a way. You may not be able to see a way, but God already knows the way. Man, I'm preaching to somebody. Verse 7, he goes on, Are you not our God, our God, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? In other words, God, you gave us this land. God, this is our inheritance. God, this is my possession. God, this rightfully belongs to me. Somebody say Amen. He's reminding God, wait a minute, the enemy's trying to steal what you gave me. Verse 8 and 9, and they that dwell in it have built your sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sore, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple. And cry out to you in your affliction, and you will hear and save. Savior means to deliver, to give victory to. Look, he never questions whether God is listening to him. He knows it. What he's doing is he's praying and reminding God and himself of God's faithfulness. How many of you have seen God be faithful in your life? Well, when the chips get down and it seems like you can't find God anywhere and everything is against you and everything is attacking you on every side, that's a good time to remind yourself that God got you through it once before and He'll get you through it again. Verse 10, he says, And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. This is an important verse. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. He is reminding God here since years ago, when we had the upper hand, you told us don't touch these people. We obeyed you. We obeyed your commandments. 
We did what was right in your sight. And now, Lord, they've got the upper hand. We're the weak ones, and they're the strong ones. He is reminding God of their Israel's obedience from years earlier. And he is saying, now, here we are. They're coming against us. And you told us not to destroy them years earlier. And now here they are trying to destroy us. God, I want to remind you that we were obedient to your voice. We were obedient to your word. He is reminding God of His obedience and doing the right thing. And I want to tell you something. You can never go wrong doing the right thing. There is something to be able to stand before a holy God and say, God, we obeyed Your Word. We did as You commanded us. You told us to pack our bags from Georgia and send us to Cincinnati. And I know you hadn't done it so we can just have church at 3 o'clock on Sunday in Harrison out by the Indiana State line. I know that you didn't do it just so we can play house and not see thousands saved. I know there's big things coming. I know people like Maria are just the start. I know we will see hundreds and thousands saved. I know we'll see backsliders come home. I know we'll see the sick healed. We'll see diseases fly right out of bodies. I know we'll see marriages restored. I know we'll see people put back together. My God, I'm preaching to somebody. There comes those times where you have to stand before God and say, God, we paid tithes. We honored you with offering and now we can't pay our bills. We need you to come through. It's okay to do that. It's okay to say, God, we believed and we confessed and we stood on your word and we, just as you've commanded and now we need you to heal our bodies. God, we've forgiven everyone. Now we need you to forgive us. God, we've shown mercy to others. Now we need you to show us mercy. I'm, I'm, man, am I preaching to anybody? It's good to remind God of his word in prayer because he's bound to his word. You can't go to God in prayer and, and pray His Word back to Him and Him go, well, I really didn't mean that. You don't go to God in prayer and say, God, here's what your Word said, and Him go, ha, 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 ah, gotcha. God's bound to His Word. Are you hearing me? God will never say, well, I really didn't mean that. Joke's on you. When you don't know the way, remind God of John 14 and 6. It says, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. One missionary was trying to get from one village to another in Africa. And he said, we're going to go out here. And he took a machete and he began to cut the bush down. And the missionary said, man, is there no way? He said, out here I am the way. I want to tell you something. There's sometimes that you'll be faced with the Red Sea in front of you, mountain ranges on either side, and Pharaoh breathing down. I don't know what's going on. And you won't have anywhere to go. You won't have anywhere to turn. There'll be no natural way. And God will say, just stand still, march forward, and watch. I'll split the Red Sea. I'm telling you, man, we're going to see God do miracles in this church. We're going to see God do miracles in this nation. We're going to see Red Sea split. We're going to see Jordan River stand at attention. We're going to see blind eyes open, deaf ears hear. I believe we're going to see the lame to walk and run the aisles. Man, I'm coming to preach to somebody today and say get ready get ready get ready God is still on the throne and he's not done yet 
when you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, that's a good time to go to the prayer closet and remind God, Philippians 4.19, you said you'd meet our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When you get a sickness uh, 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 diagnosis on you from the doctor, that's a good time to go to 1 Peter 2.24. Jesus, you said that it was by your stripes we were healed. You know what God told me one day? I stopped on that verse and I, I kept going over it and over it and over it. And I started thinking about the stripes Jesus bore. 39 of them. Beat so bad, history says you could see his organs from the outside. I kept reading and thinking. About it. I said, God, what are you trying to say? He said, son, you'll never want to be healed more than I want you healed. I'm the one that paid the ultimate price for your healing. Did anybody hear what I just said? We go before God begging like God doesn't want to do it. Jesus is like, I'm the one that took the stripes. Is anybody hearing this today? When you're filled with anxiety and worry, it's a good time to go before God and remind Him and say, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, be careful or anxious is what it means for nothing Nothing, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which guards, that's a military term, like guarding a battalion or guarding a group, guards your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want to tell you, when you go through things and fear is trying to destroy your life and, and overcome you and you don't know which way to go, that's a good time to go before God in 2 Timothy 1.7 and say, God, you said you've not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and of a sound mind. Am I preaching to anybody? When the storm and the battles you're facing seem impossible and there's no way to victory and there's no way out, that's a good time to go before God and remind Him of Matthew 19, 26 that says with God all things are possible. When a cloud of depression tries to take you over, that's a good time to remind God of Nehemiah 8 and 10 that says the joy of the Lord is my strength. When you feel hope slipping away and you feel hopeless, that's a good time to remind God of Romans 15, 13 that says you are the God of hope. I want to tell you whatever you're feeling, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're up against, there is a scripture that has the answer. So verse 11, here they are rewarding us, recompensing us. They're, they're paying us back where we let them alone. And they're coming to throw us out, expel us from your possession, from our inheritance, which you have given us inheritance. I will tell you that's what the devil tries to do in our lives. Folks, there comes a point in time where we got to draw a line in the stand and say, that's it, man. I, I, I'm done with you, devil. You're not going to steal what God has given me. You're not taking my family. You're not touching my marriage. You're not touching my church. You're not touching nothing. I, it's mine. And you get your grubby, bony little fingers off. How many of you I'm talking about? Because he'll try to steal your marriage. He'll try to steal your relationships, your children, your blessings. He'll try to steal your peace, joy, and kindness, your provision, and your hope. And I want to tell you, there comes something. You know, you only take so many blows and finally say, that's it. I've had it. And the last time I checked, I'm part of the kingdom. 
And the kingdom of light is greater than the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus kicked you out. You ain't nothing but an unemployed angel. I'm a king's son. I'm a prince of God. I'm an ambassador. In the name of Jesus, I've had enough. What do you do when the heat is on in your life? We'll get to point four and we'll close with this. Here we go. You ready? Second Chronicles 20, 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Everybody shout it out. Our eyes are upon you. What he's saying is we can't fight for ourselves. They're greater than us. We don't know what to do. We're lost. Look, there are pastors that will tell you what I'm going to tell you now. Don't do it. I, I, don't, I, I find myself qualified because I'm with some great men of the Bible. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Look, if I had an answer, we'd have done it already. Amen? And then don't freak out about the Friday night survey. It's just an idea. It's, it's okay. We're just an idea. We're not doing it. I'm just trying to check what's out there. Listen, I stand before you just like Moses. When Moses didn't know what to do, he didn't know where to turn. Jehoshaphat didn't know what to do or where to turn. The disciples after Jesus died didn't know. That's why Peter said, I'm going back fishing, and took six other disciples with him. They didn't know what to do. There comes a time in all of our lives where we don't know what to do. So when you don't know what to do, you just stand. It's not an exaggeration that most days here lately, I am in the Word of God hours a day. Not 10 minutes, not 15 minutes, not even an hour, hours. I am, I am devouring the Word of God. And I got about 10 different messages I want to preach at the same time. I mean, God is just filling me with the Word of God. When I don't know what to do, I just bury myself in the Word and prayer. Pastor, I don't know if you don't have the answer. I don't have the answer, but I know who does. And in due season, he'll make it as obvious as a nose on our face. Somebody say amen. Until then, I'm going to keep showing up out here at 3 o'clock on Sundays. I'm going to put a smile on my face. And I'm going to worship God. And we're going we're gonna to see God smack the devil around and save some people and heal some people and see some people delivered. Amen. God is not bound to a location or a specific time to do the work of God. All he needs is some people to show up and worship him and God will do the rest. He said, our eyes are on you. Everybody say, my eyes are on God. Verse 13, now all Judah with their little ones, their wives, their children stood before the Lord. You know what he did? He pulled all his family together. He said, God, this is what's at stake. This is, this is us. This is our family. God, we're your people. Watch verse 14 when you do all this. It'd be very easy to just read over verse 14 like it's nothing. But I want you to catch something very clear here. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel. I find it interesting that when people seek the Lord and ask help from the Lord and remind God of God's faithfulness and they set their eyes on the Lord, the Spirit of God shows up. In the Old Testament, this was not common. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. And here's where people will miss it. The son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And watch this. 
It'd be very easy to read right through that lineage and say, what is God, why is that even in there? Why can't he just say the name? Because God's wanting to point something out. Are you ready? I did a little research. You're going to love this. Poke your neighbor and say, you're going to love this. Watch this. Let's start with Zechariah. Zechariah's name means Jehovah remembers. I want to see if you can see a pattern emerging here. Benaiah means Jehovah has built up. Jael means God sweeps away. Mataniah says gift of Jehovah. A Levite means joined to, in particular joined to God. Jehaziel means beheld of God. How many of you are seeing a pattern right here? I started to make a six-week series just about their names. Jehovah remembers. Jehovah has built up. God sweeps away the enemy. Gift of Jehovah. Joined to God and beheld to God. I want to tell you something. There is something about a legacy of living for God that affects future generations. I need you to hear me very clear. Enoch walked with God and his great-grandson Noah walked with God. David walked with God. I'm telling you, I can preach right on down the list. In fact, so much so, Paul wrote about Timothy. And he said, 2 Timothy 1.5. When I called to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, watch this, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded it is in you as well. I want to tell you something, folks. There is something powerful about getting your children and lugging them to the house of God at 3 o'clock on Sunday out here in the middle of nowhere. I want to tell you there's something powerful about teaching your children the Word of God, teaching them family devotions. There is something taking them to church matters. Somebody say amen. amen. Raising your children in love, fear, and admonition for God matters. Timothy's grandmother and mother passed down an inheritance of faith, of walking with the Lord, of living for the Lord. And Jehaziel has the same thing his ancestors did for him. I have a question for you this morning. Are you ready? What are you passing down to your children? That sports is more important than God? That money takes precedence over what God wants? That entertainment and leisure takes first place over a relationship with God? Can I ask you a very sincere question right now? When you lie in the casket and your family thinks about you, will they think about how you led them to walk with God? I've done a lot of funerals in my life. I've never seen somebody cry over a casket and go, man, thank God. Thank God Dad taught me to love sports. Thank God mom taught me to, to love money. Thank, thank God that, no. You know what I hear, especially from Christian families? Thank God granddaddy taught me how to pray. Thank God my grandmother taught me how to seek the Lord. Thank God I was raised going to the house of God. Thank God I've got an inheritance of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I want to tell you there's nothing greater you can leave anybody than that. In his book, Who Switched the Price Tags, Anthony Campolo related the words of a pastor speaking to a group of college students in his congregation. Here's what he wrote. I got it on the overhead for you. Check it out. Children, he said, you're going to die. He's a real encourager. <laughs> One of these days, they're going to take you out to the cemetery, drop you in a hole, and throw some dirt in your face and go back to the church and eat potato salad. How many knows that's exactly what happens? He goes on to say, when you were born, he said, you alone were crying and everybody else was happy. The important questions I want to ask are, when you die, are you alone going to be happy leaving everyone else crying? 
The answer depends on whether you live to get titles or you live to get testimonies. When they lay you in the grave, are people going to stand around reciting the fancy titles you earned? Or are they going to stand around giving testimonies of the good things you did for them? Will you leave behind just newspaper columns telling people how important you were? Or will you leave everyone, leave crying people who give their testimonies of how they've lost the best friend that they ever have? The question is, what do you want to leave? And I'm closing with this. Just before they all left, Jehoshaphat stands up. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And I'm going to pick up here in the next verse next week. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he prophetically began to speak. I want to tell you God still speaks. And God still speaks to his people. There's nothing like hearing the voice of God in the midst of a terrifying storm. There's nothing that will bring peace like hearing what the Lord says. I'd like for you to bow your heads and just ask the Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? Maybe you're watching online and you say, where's where's my heart? God speak we stand before you God we don't know where to go what to do and there's so many of us dealing with so many problems right now God it's hard to even think straight we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you today this day we set ourselves to seek you Lord We ask God for your help. We need your help, God. You don't fight for us, God. We're in trouble. We remind ourselves today of your faithfulness. (laughs) We remind ourselves you've helped us survive 100% of our worst days so far. We set our eyes on you. We ask, Holy Spirit, speak. Speak to each one of us. Would you just right now just ask the Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me in this message? God, we don't want to be a people that just serves you out of convenience. We want to be a people, God, that goes after you with everything we've got. Hear our prayers.